everyone. Thank you for coming. Um, so excited to have you guys here with us for the Open Dev Track today. My name is Becca Aronson. I am a news apps developer with the Texas Tribune. Um, and we are super psyched to have you guys at the festival this year. Um, first off, I'm going to introduce some of our panelists. We're going to be talking about putting the open in open records, as you probably know. <laughs> um, right next to me is Kelly Brown. She is the editor of The Eagle in Bryan and College Station. Um, she has 23 years in the industry, covering courts, police, politics, and local beats. She is the first woman editor of The Eagle and was previously their managing editor. She's also a member of the Freedom of Information of Texas and the Texas APME boards, and she led the Eagle newsroom for, to win more than 30 awards. And next to her, we have Joe Larson, who is a First Amendment lawyer at Sedgwick LLP, um, and he is a board member of the Freedom of Information Foundation of Texas. He has extensive experience representing media newsrooms, um, including some you may have heard of, like the Dallas Morning News, the Houston Chronicle, the Beaumont Enterprise. Um, and in 2010, he won the Freedom of Information Foundation Texas prestigious James Madison Award for his commitment to upholding the principles of the First Amendment. Next up here we have Dr. Schloss, who is the Open Records Coordinator for the General Land Office. Um, she literally wrote the book on basically how we pay for open records in Texas when she was the cost administrator in the AG's office. Um, she has more than 25 years of experience working in open records offices across the state. And in 2012, Baylor University School of Journalism awarded her the Freedom Fighter Medal for the work she's done to keep public records open. Next, we have Sam Houston, who is the Democratic nominee for Texas Attorney General. He has 26 years practicing as an attorney um, and is currently a partner at Shepard Scott, <coughs> Clawwater, and Houston LLP. Um, he attended the University of Texas at Austin and Baylor Law School. Um, just so you know, we invited his opponent for the AG position, Ken Paxton, the Republican, and he declined our offer to speak at the festival this year. Um, and then we also, lastly, have Dan Sharphorn, who is <laughs> um, the general counsel and vice chancellor of the UT system. Um, he was appointed permanent vice chancellor and general counsel in June, and he manages all legal affairs and various business needs for the 15 UT institutions, overseeing 36 attorneys in their um, Office of General Counsel. Previously, he worked at the University of Michigan for 25 years. So please help me in welcoming our panelists today. Um, if you could all be so kind as to silence your cell phones, I would love if you tweet today as we're talking. Use the hashtag TribuneFest or our special hashtag TTFOpenGov. Um, so that everyone can know what we're talking about. Um, and um, if you have a question, we're going to have a 15-minute Q&A period at the end. So please come down to the microphone um, at the end. I'll tell you guys when the Q&A is starting. And then we'd love it if you spoke in the microphone and asked your question. All right, great. Um, so to start us off, you know, if anyone watched the governor's, the gubernatorial debate last night, one of the things that came up was General, current Attorney General Abbott's ruling that Tier 2 chemicals um, should, the locations of where they're stored shouldn't be disclosed because he believes there's, you know, potential that terrorists could misuse that information. Um, some people feel that, you know, in order to protect citizens, they should have awareness of where this information is. Uh, Mr. Houston, you know, if you were AG, how would you have ruled on this topic? I mean, what do you think of the current ruling? Well, I think you have to think of every topic, again, as we go forward, being 
hopefully a public official, um, is in the policy. And where I was disappointed in that ruling, in what you look at in Texas, and again, I'm not going to argue the detail, detail, details with a lot of people in this panel who have a lot more experience in that, but the policy is this, is my, under my office would be, that the Public Information Act, a very good statute, it is, uh, in the preamble itself, it says that our records should be open. It's just where we have to start on every particular issue in every case, that records should be open. And particularly, I think any time in any government where there's someone uses the word threat or brings up or raises the specter of there's a threat, well, then that makes it very easy to thwart that. And here's where, and in that particular issue, I think, if you look at the letter ruling, that was done is that when you have statutes that sp specifically say that that information ought to be public, um, both federal and state statutes that, re that require tier two information to be released, um, and then you take a fairly vague statute that's really not particular, I think that was wrong. I think that we need to strive as the Attorney General, obviously other people do a lot of that work, mm -hmm. but the policy needs to be that we adhere to that statute and that we make records um, available unless there is an identified and very particular specific exception to the rule. That's where I was just Mr. Larson, you are currently representing Dallas Morning News in their attempt to get some misinformation. Could you kind of explain your view on? Yes, uh, sure. And, and of course, I'm not, I can't speak on behalf of the, of the Dallas Morning News, but I'm happy to speak about some of the stuff that, that we put in uh, our most recent brief. Uh, there's a request. The Dallas Morning News has made a request to the, uh, the, the uh, Texas Department of Safety and Health Services. Uh, and the, the federal statute uh, that Mr. Houston is referring to here is called the Community Right to Know Act. And that was implemented in the United States after the Bhopal accident in India, which wiped out hundreds of thousands, I mean, a couple, I think 100,000 people or something. It was a huge scale of, of, of death that flowed from that. Uh, and the idea was that the people in the United States ought to know what they're living next to, what types of dangerous chemicals or explosive chemicals. Of course, the problem with dangerous chemicals, explosive chemicals, it's kind of like the problem with uh, uh, smallpox. Uh, you know, uh, you can use it to create vaccines with like smallpox or or, uh, uh, or to prevent. Uh, a biological attack, but at the same time, that same knowledge can be used to foment an attack. And the same is true, obviously, of ammonium nitrate, which is the, which is one of the tier two issues, uh, tier two uh, chemicals that, that needs to be reported when it's above ten thousand pounds. Uh, everybody, I think, in this room, everybody in this state, I think, wants to know if they're living next to a stack of ammonium nitrate that could blow up half the town. And it keeps happening. And the, so the, going back to this, I think it was in 1987 when the, uh, when the Community Right to Know Act was implemented. Uh, and what it, it mandates all the states to set up their own planning committees and, and, and a state reporting entity to which facilities that hold these chemicals have to put their reports. And, and, and those are the Tier 2 reports. And that's what's at issue in this request. Uh, so... Since the 80s, this information has been readily available. All you had to do was contact DISH, as, they, as they're called, uh, and you got it. And it, it, it has been that way 
and ironically, until after the explosion in West. That's when you couldn't get it anymore, and, uh, it, which is just stunning when you think about it. And, and uh, to, to follow up on, uh, on Mr. Houston's uh, comment about the, the general statute, uh, part of the problem is, is what happened after 9-11. And, and the state of Texas, the United States, uh, have all, you know, want to, they want to keep information out of the hands of the bad guys. Uh, and as a result of keeping information out of the hands of the bad guys, nobody gets that information. Well, as a, as a journalist, uh, Ms. Brown, you know, why have you guys tried to get this kind of information? I mean, is it, how, do, how could it be used by the public if it were available and if it, as it has been available in the past? Well, I can speak directly to an incident that happened a few years prior to that. There was a fertilizer plant in Bryan, which is in our readership, and uh, a welder basically uh, doing his job, a little uh, spark turned into an explosion, and they evacuated Bryan. You know, it didn't make the headlines, obviously, quite like what happened in West. There were no fatalities, a couple injuries, but what happened pretty much immediately were none of the residents that lived nearby knew that was there. They didn't know that, uh, what the potential dangers were. Um, even when, as it was happening, firefighters were saying, what's in there? You know, how close can we get? So there's the public safety of the people that live around it, a school that was nearby, uh, as well as, um, you know, the first responders going to the scenes. So how do we use it? Uh, you know, I want to know. What's, what's in my neighborhood. It turns out the toxins that were released may or may not have contributed to some abnormalities of uh, women who were pregnant at the time. And uh, so that's still being ferreted out. So there's health issues. There's all, all kinds of issues. Yeah. Great. Um, so, you know, one of the things that's been a really big topic in the past couple of years is the release of information at university systems. Um, and Mr. Sharper and I know you're quite aware of these issues. One of the things that's come up is whether or not universities and other organizations are are using this as kind of a political maneuver. You know, have people like Bridget Wallace Hall who are requesting information as public citizens so they can go through the 10-day time period rather than as a yeah, a priority person, and so, um, so I guess you know. How do you respond to the accusations that people, that the agencies themselves are using this law to keep information rather than get it out there? I, what, I, all I can I can't really speak to the motives of people who request information. Um, you know, all I can really speak to is what you know what my office does and my staff and. Interestingly, they're here today, and that's, I'm probably most uncomfortable being up here because they're here grading me, and uh, they know open records law better than I do. Um, but we try very, very hard to be consistent, to respond appropriately, uh, to be as open uh, as, uh, as the law uh, allows. Um, so, but, but I can't speak necessarily to the motives of people who are requesting things. I mean, I think one of the things we talked about a little bit before was the, the notion that occasionally you have people who request documents, and a, and a couple of people have done this, where they request it under the Open Records Act, then they also request it under some other authority. Um, and, and again, I can't speak to their motives, but um, for example, a, a member of the Board of Regents can see information that he or she might not be able to see as a citizen. Um, conceivably, they're trying to 
compare to see if we're doing open records properly? Are the, the things that he sees as a regent or she sees as a regent, do they look the same as the things that have been released to the public? Um, are we withholding things we're not supposed to withhold? Um, we had requests like that from a member of the legislature. Um, the legislature, members of the legislature have authority to request documents as a member of the legislature, and they can see everything. Um, like but it seems like they've been using this process kind of where they request it as a public citizen to get the wheels in motion so that when they request it with their special authority and there is no timeline, they can get access to it quicker. That could be. That could be. I guess I, I just, I'm not sure what their motives are. Yeah. One of the things I just do want to make clear about, when the legislature requests documents as a member of the legislature, like I said, they get everything, even things that would not be available to the public. Um, but we do ask that they sign a non-disclosure agreement so that they are not in turn releasing that information to the public that should not be released to the public. I mean, Ms. Schloss, you've worked at the AG's office for many years. Um, how, I mean, how do the kind of privacy laws that come into play to protect public information become you know, a factor in how people can actually get access to a lot of this information? Do you see a lot of, I guess, politics go into this process because of those laws? Or? At the AG, I did not do open records. Uh, I manage part of the law. Um, at the GLO, I do. And my premise is everything goes unless I specifically have something that says it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And for example, for 2014, I had close to a thousand requests, of which I sent 22 to the AG because there were specific things. Um, when people try to tell me why they want the information, my answer is, don't know, don't care. It's none of my business. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, at the agency, people are always, well, why do they want this? Nanya? None your business. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's it's a philosophy. Yeah. Uh, I think part of it is because from where I come, having been born in Argentina and lived there and know the things that happen when you have an open government, people do not disappear, never to be seen or heard of again. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm yeah. passionate. I mean, but there are matters of privacy and, and proprietary yeah. information. And those are the things we should be looking at. I mean, Mr. Sharporn, UT has been commended for posting um, the requests online so that everyone can see what everyone else is requesting. And especially, you know, when there are a bunch of requests coming in for the regents issue, that, you know, it kind of stirred some pots because everyone knew what everyone else was requesting, but then it got kind of messy because you guys weren't posting the responses. And a lot of people said, well, if you're going to post the request, you should re post the responsive information. Can you kind of explain why you guys haven't been doing that and what's, what's the issue here? Yeah, I mean I, I, I mean, I feel good about the fact that we have set up this website where you can now go see what anybody has requested. And I think we're, I don't know that anybody else in the state has done that. Um, it's, been, it's raised some interesting issues among reporters, by the way, um, because some reporter who's uh, maybe in the middle of a story that they think is interesting will request certain documents. Well, unfortunately for them, I guess, that immediately shows up on our website. 
So we have other reporters who say, aha, I see so-and-so is doing this story. So they, they make a request for the exact same documents. So they then get the same story, and the, the reporter loses the opportunity to sort of uh, you know, get their story out first. Um, we, we've looked at over a couple of times over the last few years, and we're, and we're even reviewing it again now. Why don't we just put all these documents online? One of the problems is some of the records requests are from a person or an individual who, because of who's requesting it, might get more information than, than somebody else, than just the public. For example, occasionally student, former students will misuse and they'll look for their student records and they'll actually use the open records law rather than going maybe straight to the registrar. So that then pops up there as a, as a document request from a student. That student can see certain information out of his or her file that we certainly wouldn't release to the public. Um, we also worry a little bit about, um, as you know, we get lots of requests, UT Austin gets lots of requests, UT Southwestern does. Um, and so we worry a little bit about, you know, on occasion something will slip through that we shouldn't release. Um, and if it's one individual, it's, it's easier to try to correct that. Um, but if it's already out in the entire public domain, it's harder to correct. So we're reviewing this. I mean, some consideration is being given to, for example, if it goes to a reporter, it's pretty much in the wide open public domain anyway. So those kinds of documents might be some that we would try to put up almost immediately for everybody to see. Um, and we're, we're reviewing that and thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, Ms. Brown, you often work with the University of A&M. I mean, what is it like trying to get responsive documents out of a university? You, do you think it's an uphill battle or, you know? Um, I'd say the a system... Probably, I, I was trying to take a look at the numbers from just our newsroom, and I'd say about uh, the majority of the time they ask for an AG's opinion. Um, they have in the past asked for AG's opinion on, uh, you're going to love this, on the salary of an administrator um, for someone's resume. Um, but they, they, you know, depending on who you get that day, and also sometimes it's which way the wind is blowing uh, all the way up to the chancellor's office as to whether it benefits certain people, whether the information will be released. So there's been some fun ones. So is it an uphill battle? Uh, I would say yes. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Houston and Mr. Larson, maybe you guys want to weigh in, too, on how you think, you know, is the open records law being used, you know, as kind of a political maneuver by some state agencies to hide information from what you can see? Well, and Joe, Joe can probably talk, but I'll just say this from what I've seen and talked to a lot of the reporters here the last few months. For some reason, I've talked to a lot of reporters. Um, but the, um, you know, many times is what I've heard is the complaint. You know, you put in a request 10 days later and then the story's old. Um, and if, but it's obvious, it's information that's obviously should be disclosed. Maybe it's a stall tactics. Maybe sometimes it's a lower tier public official and they're just worried about being wrong, you know. Um, but one thing that I think needs to be looked at, and I even read a Tribune article about it, um, is what can the Attorney General's office do to enforce um, municipalities or lower level governments? And, you know, that may be something we need to try to change and move forward on, is there should there be more enforcement by the Attorney General's office as opposed to having to go to the district attorney or lower level who are, you know, right there in that same area. And that might, if we can do that and make those changes where there's some more enforcement mechanisms to make you know, when records are clearly um, should be um, given, then we can put more heat on them to, to, to do away with some of this kind of gamesmanship or fear, quite frankly. 
We do try to handle, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we do try to handle like reporters and, and make sure that we, you know, we, a lot of times they'll work for our public relations office too. So we'll try to ensure that we, we, we don't let it sit there for 10 days just as a matter of making sure they don't get to get their story out. Yeah, please go ahead. Um, at the GLO, if there is, if it's just a question from a reporter, uh, we have a spokesperson and they answer questions all the time. If they want documents, that's when it comes to me. And I have to be honest about it. I don't give preference to reporters. The law specifically says treat everybody the same. And I am very much about treating everybody the same. And I am in one person shop. Yeah. But my turnaround is usually about, for things that don't go to the AG, is three and a half days. So if, what they, if somebody wants something that I know I can get immediately, I give it that same day. If I had direct access, I give it that same day. I think that it's used as a, as, as a political tool both ways to find out dirt that don't exist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to have more. This cannot be the only thing you have. Well, I'm sorry, this is all I have. That somebody wants something juicy, and it's interesting because it's usually not the media that are asking that question. It's the mm -hmm. public. Uh, to one of the things that I fight at work all the time is we have 10 business days. I'm like, really? Show me where it says that. And do I mean to be mean? No, I mean by choice. Yeah. <laughs> you, mean by, you mean by nature. <laughs> yeah. Correct, correct, correct. So, I mean, on this issue of treating everybody the same, yes. kind of, I'm gonna kind of change the direction a little bit. Um, one of the things that's been happening is that corporations come in and they request a bunch of information, maybe on tax property tax records or something, usually from a lot of smaller in public entities. And then they post that information online and charge for it. Correct. Um, I mean, is this an issue in, the, in a sense because the records aren't getting out from the government naturally for free that now the public is having to pay for otherwise free records? Uh, no, you, you, this is what people don't understand that the things that we tax everybody are putting out there, you can use them, but they are not going to be official records. If you want official records, you're gonna to have to go to the taxing entity. If you want to do things in your pajamas, you can pay. You are paying for a convenience you can still go to the governmental entity and get the information and either pay a minimal amount or not pay at all. But convenience has always had a price. Mm -hmm. And that's what Do you are getting. Do you want to chime in here? Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to speak. This is actually a very important issue. Uh, and, and one of the places that it's really important uh, you know, is uh, uh, property records, uh, which are, are kept by county clerks. 
Now, uh, property records are something that you can just go down to the county clerk and uh, you know get it from the authority. You know, go in there and and and, uh, and pick it up. But you have title plants, you have title companies who buy this information en masse because they need it in order to be able to prove up title. To, uh, they, they need to keep current records and then I only go to the property records but they go to district courts and probate courts uh, for other dispositions of this property. Uh, in, uh, what they're being met with, and it happens to the media a lot because uh, the media are also seeking databases from TxDOT or whoever uh, for public uh, reporting to, uh, of important issues. And, and what, uh, frequently what you're seeing is, and, and, and this is kind of framed by the governmental bodies, is that, well, you know, we can't just give away all this information to these big corporations. You know, they're making money off of it. You know, the answer to that is, so what? Uh, and, yeah, and, and, and your point is what? But, and, and, but there's an even further wrinkle to that. And, uh, and you see it going on right now with the uh, Travis County District Clerk because there's a, a, a matter before the Attorney General uh, where Adasi used to work as a, the cost administrator for the AG. They had to replace her with three people, by the way. <laughs> uh, and, and, but, and they're all chewing on this issue now. Uh, the, the Travis County uh, Clerk has uh, outsourced it's record keeping, it's digital record keeping to Oracle. And, uh, and, and they want money. It's, it's so what you've got is the vendor to the governmental body where they got that same information for uh, like under $30 all downloaded to a thumb drive a couple of years ago. Now they're asking for $13,000 for it. And that's going on all the time. And the cost issue is a, a key issue because uh, even where... You know, and, and I hear, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, that, you know, uh, from Adas and, uh, and Mr. Sharp one, uh, you know, that, well, we can we give information, uh, all the information that, you know, that we can give. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I mean that's seriously, let's, let's get down to what does that mean? There are two types of exceptions to uh, withhold government information uh, in general categories. There's the mandatory which is stuff that's confidential by law, and you better not let it go, like medical records or something like that. You can't let it go. But the bulk of it is are, are discretionary. It's up to the governmental body whether they let it go or not. And they, could, they can claim, well, you know, that's deliberation on policy, which is the most abused uh, of all. You know, and anyway, that just reaches out into everything. Uh, it, but it's, it, and it's been restricted, and it needs to continue to be restricted. So the question where the rubber meets the road is all these discretionary exceptions. But on top of that, then, even where a governmental body says, yeah, you can have it, but then they say, well, you're bad, but we want $13,000 for it, yeah. well, that's the, effectively denying the request. And then you have to go to the cost administrator's office, and they're overworked, and, uh, and, it, and they're still chewing on this thing with the county clerk. But uh, even in Adas's day... I, I remember waiting for over a half a year for a ruling from Adasa uh, mm -hmm. on, on, a, on a cost uh, complaint that I had. Well, you know, it talks, uh, you talk about taking advantage of the procedure. So you've got 10 working, if, 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 without any regard to cost, you've got 10 working days to, to get in your request, and you've got another five working days to brief it. The Attorney General then has 45 working days to issue the ruling. That's two and a half months. Then when the stuff comes out, here comes the cost request, and it's for $13,000. And then it's going to take another half year to try and get a cost complaint resolved. 
It's pretty easy for governmental bodies to hamstring a requester using this type of, of tactic. And, and let me tell you, it happens all the time. And, uh, before we came down here, I was talking with Mr. Sharphorn. He's new on the job. He hasn't been there that long. And he was, uh, in fact, uh, very courteously uh, deferring to his staff on a lot of this. I've had a lot of experience with the UT system. And honestly, they're the worst that's out there. And I'm very <laughs> sorry to say that. But it's, it's, it's awful. And if anybody wants to talk to me and, and hear a bunch of war stories, I'll keep you busy all afternoon. I mean, one of the things you mentioned is that, you know, by turning the system over to Oracle, they can essentially charge as much. I mean, are government bodies making information proprietary by outsourcing their jobs to private companies and making it more difficult to get records that would be public if they were? But it shouldn't because the law was changed last session to make, it used to say information that was public information if it was assembled, collected, or maintained by or for a governmental body. And that changed to assembled, collected, maintained, produced, paid for. <laughs> well, the moment you have that paid for, and it's not an at an arm's length contract, they are taking the place of the governmental body. They are an agent of the governmental body. They are subject to the same rules and the same law. So it shouldn't. And all I have to say is thank you, Lord, that I am not doing, making <laughs> these determinations anymore. Yeah. We don't outsource any of it, so... I mean, we've never done that. I mean, do you want to respond, though, to Mr. Larson's comment well, about Mr. you guys Larson, being the worst? <laughs> <laughs> he was kind enough to say I'm new in the job. Um, I also, we talked a little bit before, and I, I gave him my card, and I said, well, feel free to beat me up in this session, but you can call me later and continue if you'd like. Um, Much but, appreciated. But I'm, no, I'm serious. I'm, I'm happy to hear his suggestions on how we can improve things. I mean, I would, you know, stand by our staff. They, they work hard. They try to do their best, and so I, you know. I, but I, I would, if, if, you, so if you have any requests in the next couple months, make sure I, I, we know about it. And if you send it to my office, we'll, we'll take care of you. Hmm. Everybody hear right. that? Yeah, yeah, as they say, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> so as a journalist, nice. I mean, you want to talk about this issue of maybe well, getting... We have a lot of outsourcing going on within the Texas A&M University system. Um, everything from uh, dining services to landscape. Uh, so it's not just the old school of how do we figure out what the consultants are doing and how much they're spending? Now it's, uh, you know, big chunks of money in higher education is being uh, overseen by these private companies. And until that law, and she's right, you know, we're grateful that that was implemented, but uh, we're still seeing some issues because it's, um, first of all, you're assuming that the private company, which this is all new to them, they're used to just, you know, uh, covering their documents, and especially, obviously, their financials. So they might not keep it in the way that we're asking for it, and that's what we're kind of up against now in this new world of doing follow-ups. You can get a copy of the contract, but when you start trying to compare uh, apples and apples and you know compare year-over-year over year, um, costs, it's right now not looking too favorable. Yeah. So I guess moving on to kind of a more philosophical topic, 
Um, how has the internet changed things? I mean, one of the things that the Tribune does is we request huge data sets and we package them and we put them out to the public. Um, and is there a reason why government agencies aren't doing a better job at this themselves? I mean, how has the internet become a factor in what information the public kind of expects to be available to them um, and the ease at which they should be able to get it? Well, I can speak for my agency. Um, we have a lot of information out there, but most of the time it's not in the form that people on, in the outside want it because everybody wants it differently. And this, for example, we have a land grant database that has all of the grants that were ever done in Texas. And it also tells you if it has been patented, which means they have a deed. Um, it tells you whether there is an oil, there's oil or uh, gas leases, have mineral leases, all kind of information. But we are dealing with very old documents. So the only way to do it is to PDF it. And, and there is no other way. Which we know reporters, we hate PDFs. Yeah, with good reason. As a yeah. Data reporter. Yeah, expect, yeah, the non-searchable type. I mean, is there any reason why this information isn't just no, put up is, in a raw form? It, I mean, I think jail is pretty good about this. How can you put a document from 1847 in raw form? <laughs> Would you like to explain that one to me? Because it's impossible. OCR scans. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to comment on that. But this. it yeah. is searchable. It is searchable by different things. Is that then you have a document. Do we produce data also? Yes, ma'am, we do. And I just sent an estimate to somebody for the entire database, including the oil and gas, which they are not together, they have to be combined, and all of the PDFs, and we are talking documents from before 1836, and it was $800. Now, if somebody's going to come to me and complain about it, <laughs> that's when they are going to realize why I am the youngest of 15 and survived. <laughs> <laughs> So, it, you know, yeah, it really is, what do you expect to pay for, and how much are you requesting? Yeah, I, 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 mean, I agree with, with everything Adasi says. Uh, you, uh, you have to look at the scope of, of what you're doing, you know, the, the actual amount of work that goes into producing a data set or, or an electronic record of some kind. And, and sometimes you actually have to create the electronic document to begin with. Uh, you have to find it, scan it, and all that sort of thing. Uh, more frequently, though, I think the an my answer to the question about you know, the uh, Internet and the, and the Public Information Act is that the Public Information Act is still catching up uh, in terms of, of, of the Internet. So uh, uh, Adasa just talked about releasing an entire data set, and it's very frequent that the Tribune or some other media entity or some private uh, individual asks for an entire data set. 
uh, you know, often that, that brings problems of some kind you know, uh, and opportunities for governmental bodies to withhold information. So you've got a data set, but you've got a couple of fields in the data set that have confidential information. Maybe they've got social security numbers, uh, you know, maybe it's a police uh, department data set, and, uh, and, and you've got some uh, police narratives that, that you would want to withhold under a law enforcement exception. So, uh, you know, they basically say, well, there's a bunch of docu- in, uh, confidential documents in here, and we have to scrub it. We have to scrub all these confidential documents. When anybody you know, with a, a working knowledge of how these data sets works, no, you, all you have to do is just download the particular fields that aren't confidential. You don't have to scrub anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so then you get the, the follow-up question is, well, can I see what's in, you know, what's in your data set? Can I have the record layout? In short, well, the, the, the current law, the way the, the law works, and it's AG formed law mm-hmm. uh, because th- th- there isn't anything that actually says this in the act, is that uh, a record layout, and it, we all know what a record layout is, right? It, all it is is a description of what's in each field in the data set, where it is in the data set, and how long each field is. Mm-hmm. So that if you needed to, you could go in and pull it out and just tell where's this data. So the reporter armed with this information can say, well, I, I don't want this field that's got the social security numbers, or I don't want this field that's got the police narratives, or whatever it might mm-hmm. happen to be. But the governmental body will say, uh, this is not public information. And the attorney general, and, and, and this is something that you may want to talk about. I know your opponent is, is reluctant to speak with you, so I feel free to put words in his mouth, being as he's decided he's not going to be here and be with us. Uh, but uh, uh, but the, what the holding is is that it's not public information because it's, it's simply used to manipulate inter- information. Mm-hmm. So they compare it to software. This yeah. is the AG's office. It's compared a record layout to software. And as we, a record layout really is what a key to the map is what it is. It's, it's what public information is. It, 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 it's like a, 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 like the Dewey Decimal System. You know, it's, it's what you got and where it is. Mr. Houston, yeah. do you want to weigh in on this? Sure. Not as much detail as they're doing. But um, look, <laughs> here's what I was thinking about is from your question and kind of what Joe was saying and Hadassah was saying is what the way I view the Open Records Act. And it sounds like a lot of the same things are being said. You know, the idea under my office would be, again, that that the records are open. And you can't use a veiled threat that's not really specific on an outside chemical to undermine that. You can't use cost-prohibitive records or calling something a field when it's not (laughs) to undermine it. Now, and, and, and as the internet, and the, the, the answer to your question, as we move forward, less and less should a government body say, this is going to cost you $13,000 because technology is going to do away with it. But as the attorney general, as the head of the office, with very capable and well-meaning people at lower levels, I would want to be, and I would never want to be in a position saying, I didn't know they had ruled a certain way. I've heard that said, and I wouldn't <laughs> I won't do that. Uh, but you do allow lower rulings. But I'd be ever vigilant of exactly what we're hearing, that a body withheld the information not for the right reason, but for a different reason and used it was too expensive or used there was a threat. To me, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road on if you're really for open records versus not. Everybody says, I'm for open records. Well, then 
You have to be for open government and open records, and you have to be ever vigilant that, yes, there are threats that should, there, should, there are times it should mm -hmm. be withheld, but never for the wrong purpose. And if you're not watching for it, sometimes they are held. I mean, how much is purpose? this fear, I guess, of wrong information getting out impacting what records get released? I'm sorry, what, say that again. I, I mean, I guess how much is the fear of what record, like you were talking about, you guys are afraid to post some of the responsive documents for fear that if the wrong information does get out, then it's on the internet for good. I mean, how much does that kind of dictate what agencies are putting out there? Well, that, well that's, that's part of the analysis we're doing is we're looking at putting all of the information that's ever been requested on the line. Let me, let me say a couple of things. First of all, mm -hmm. um, I, I would urge any of you to go to the UT system website and you'll see we have a dashboard there. We, we're putting out lots and lots of data and lots of information and we're trying to get even more out there. Um, the other thing on the cost, um, when I first started at UT a few years ago, the, um, I think we had one paralegal doing open records. We now have three attorneys. Um, the amount of money we take in, and they, they probably know, but it is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what we spend on dealing with open records. Um, the, the sort of large, or the databases that uh, Mr. Larson's talking about, I mean, I agree, there, are, there ought to be ways to do that fairly simply. And I know a lot of times we do work with requesters and we ask them, are you willing to accept these documents without X, Y, or Z? That'll make it easier, so we do that. But for lots of the, the material, particularly when they're trying to deal with emails, um, particularly with some of the requests around emails that might have something to do with students, they've almost got to go line by line through literally hundreds, sometimes thousands of emails and make sure student names aren't mentioned, make sure there's not information that is in fact protected by law. So it isn't always that simple to, to, to go through the documents and redact the material that has to be removed. Yeah. Can I follow up on the fear thing? I think uh, fear, the, this, this whole idea of fear, it, it, to me, is, is the creation of a super nanny state. Uh, you know, when, uh, here in, the, in, the, in Texas, we're supposed to be, this is supposed to be a conservative state. And in, in, uh, to me, uh, open government is the quintessential conservative ideal. Uh, it's the anti-nanny state. Uh, this fear of something bad happening is, is also what is being used to keep the governor's travel records, uh, the, the detail of his security guard from being made public. Because if somebody were to know where they go and how they, you know, what they have for breakfast, uh, then they might be able to use that to intercept the governor at some future event, uh, you know, in Antigua or wherever it is he happens to go on his, on his next deal. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean let's, and let's think about this. Uh, you know, uh, there was a Supreme Court decision that actually upheld, kind of have created this thing, uh, a common law right to be uh, secure, uh, free, you know, free from uh, violence, uh, free from attack. And, th and that's all good and well, but it's very amorphous. Uh, and, that's, and that's the problem with these homeland security statutes that are being used to keep uh, withhold where the ammonium nitrate is. Uh, just to really quickly tie this thing on the governor down, uh, you know, after this ruling, they came back and said, okay, well, after two years, I think it was, uh, then, uh, then this information uh, no longer falls within the, uh, the you know, this uh, Texas Supreme Court created uh, fear of violence. But, uh, but there's still a, an escape hatch in, 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 the, in the list of exceptions uh, uh, that, that comes back to security again. It's still there, even though the legislature came back and expressly overruled it. 
it's actually still there. And, and I think it was the Tribune that tried to get uh, yeah, follow up on this. Yeah, tried to get his this. records when he was traveling through, yeah, during and his just, you know, just to, to try and, okay, we've got this new law that says we're supposed to have it. Let's, you know, mm -hmm. let's exercise it and see. And, and it's still. And so how, how long will these records, I mean, it's going to be like, you know, the... Uh, 2025 before I guess they're no longer going to be afraid that somebody's going to be able to take these records of where the governor's been and, and, and no longer be able to figure out how to attack him in Antigua. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. It's ridiculous. There is, it's not about the governor's security. Well, and that's, that's the final thing I'll say. I mean, that's, I think you're right, Joe. I mean, and, and, and to me, I disagree a little bit about what you say. If there's real fear, real threat, yeah. It can be withheld, but it, never let it be subterfuge, and that's what you're talking about right there. When it starts looking like subterfuge, then you know what? The people won't accept a real threat later on. When it starts looking like subterfuge, or if it's used as subterfuge, we've undermined our open records, right? And that's what an attorney general's office, because there is a, a, a lot of um, responsibility placed on the office. Absolutely. And the policy in, in, in my office, again, I'm running for office, but the policy is in be ever vigilant for the subterfuge. We're not going to allow that. The real, the real incidences of exceptions, and they're there in the statutes, they're there in common law. There's a lot of exceptions. Mm -hmm. Don't let them be used as subterfuge. That's what we want for. You want to chime in real quick? Well, seven years prior to the Tribune asking about the travel records, the Dallas Morning News, Houston Chronicle, <laughs> and Statesman, they all asked, and, you know. We didn't exist then, so. Right. <laughs> they would have been right there, a part of it. But I'm saying they, uh, the reaction, you know, was get a ruling from the AG's office. The AG's office came back and said, you know, certain elements are, you know, real general information was public. So, you know, we keep having the same arguments, you know, the same kind of requests. And uh, a lot of it just doesn't move forward. The conversation doesn't move forward. Yeah. I mean, on that note, this law is, of course, ever-evolving. In the next five to ten years, what are the things that we're going to keep talking about that are the things that are continually issues in this law that either need to be changed or addressed by the legislature or that kind of need to work themselves out given our new technology and the ability for this information to be more public with the Internet? Anyone want to jump right in? The technology is always going to be a problem because... As we speak, the outside world got whatever, and government is just getting what everybody got three months ago, and already forgot about how to use it because they don't use it no more. So technology, the technology is going to be a problem always. Just because the state systems aren't up to date because with the, the private sector? Because the state is always going to be behind. Uh, but the things that I think we will continue to talk about is the resistance. I think resistance will always be there. Um, I have, I talked to some of the most open government people and they are Truly, 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 truly open government until they get into an elected or appointed <laughs> position, <laughs> and now it's their records. Yeah. And nowhere, nowhere is this more evident, and, and, with, and to follow up on your technology question, than access to emails sent regarding official business but on your private devices. 
And, and this is a recurring problem. And, and, and in fact, at, at, at the FOIFT, we've been working on fixes to the legislation to try and get it. But, but uh, you can define what a, you know, what a council member says. You know, if he sends it uh, on, you know, on his iPhone, uh, in his Gmail account, uh, but it relates to uh, the county's business, you know, well, it falls within the definition of public information. Then the question is, who's going to make him turn it over? Is it the county? If it's, a, if it's a council member, is it the city? They're saying, no, that's my information, just to kind of go back to what Adasa was just saying. No, that's my... So it's a custodial issue. You know, who has custody of information that's in a private Gmail account? Uh, and, and that's one of the places, again, where the law is trying to catch up with where the technology is right now. And, and uh, in fact, there's, there's a case that was just the, uh, decided by the Third Court of Appeals here in Austin on this very issue that came out of El Paso, and it's a request for emails from uh, all the council members for the city of El Paso. And, uh, you know, and, and the issue, the, the requester there, uh, you know, wants the private emails. Well, now the city has turned over everything that they have. But the requester saying, you know, there's references among some of this stuff to other emails that I know is out there in some Gmail accounts. I want to take the depositions of these people. I want to get digger, dig, dig deeper into it and, and find out what's out there. And the third court of appeals said, the city gave you everything it says it has. Your case is moot. Mm -hmm. They're not refusing to give you anything anymore. Well, is that true? Uh, you know, could the city, under uh, various statutes that do give it the right to obtain information from their constituent members, do they have the right to go back and get that? Well, that's not clear, and that has to be addressed. And that's one of the things we're trying to fix. With the, We've actually tried to get ahead of the curve. We'll see how it works. You can never tell about how things go in the legislature. Uh, yeah. But to address some of these things, and, and my earlier reference to the uh, record layouts, which would make them expressly public information. But you know, we're, we're kind of gearing up for it ahead of time this year, and, and hopefully we'll be able to make a, a difference in some areas. Great. Um, so if you guys have any questions, we would love to hear them. Um, please come down to the mics. Anyone got anything? Great. I'm a CPA and a, and a lawyer from Bernie, Texas. I don't practice law, so I do have some background. And I made an effort a few years ago to try and get some information from the Bernie Public School District. And that was like spitting into the wind. <laughs> <laughs>
change the law if that's yeah. even... So the question easy. is, how, how could you, how, what could help the little guy out when they're trying to get information out of these systems? When I was at the AG as the Gospel Administrator, I got a lot of questions like that. I also got the governmental body who will start the conversation with, we have a troublemaker yes. <laughs> that wants blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, let's back up. You have a citizen that is interested on how y'all are spending the money. And usually it would be whatever. Uh, and, and the thing is, yes, you can complain to the AG. And you, ha you can shame them into giving you the information. But there really has, it really starts at the top. And you have to elect people that believe that they are serving you and not the other way around. The, one of the things that, um, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like the law, everybody's supposed to be treated the same under the law. Um, one of the things we've done at System, and again, I encourage you to go to our, our website, is we've got a button on there that you can push to request information. And I think it takes you quite conveniently and easily to a place where you can make a request. And we've tried to encourage all of our institutions to do the same thing. Do they all have that now? Yeah, okay, all of our institutions now have something like that on their website. So we've, I mean, that's the kind of device that I think can make it easier uh, if agencies were required to have on their face, on the front of their, their first page, something where people can go to and there's a, there's a link right away where they can get information. So I, I think that's helpful. I, I wish all 254 counties in Texas had that and all the cities and all the school districts. One overall button to send the same request to all of them, right? Right, but you know, we're, we're up against the same thing. We ask for that, you know, the details in the budget. And um, you know, we have to do what residents do, and that's file the open records request. And you know, often in smaller towns especially, people will ask, why do you need this? You know, what, what's the importance? So, you know, if someone had a solution to that, I would say, you know, err on the side of transparency and make everything available. But that's, of course, coming from someone who works at a newspaper. I think the answer to your question is not much. As you heard from, uh, you know, Adasa, who was with the AG's office for a long time, uh, although on the cost side, but it's similar if you, file, if you call the complaint side. You know, uh, what, what we really need is, uh, from the AG's office is a, a, a greater willingness to actually knock heads, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's been an increasing reluctance under Greg Abbott's office to do that. Uh, I saw a lot more of it in, in the early days, uh, you know, and I don't know if it's just institutional drift or what, uh, or if it's just this, this, the, to, to give uh, uh, the current attorney general his due, if it's, if it's just the scope of what they face now, because I mean, we were talking earlier about governmental bodies using the procedures for delay, you know, uh, and I think they're up to 19,000 requests a year. Uh, it's it's an enormous number. It, it's uh, way intensive, and it gets bigger every year. You know, and, and people speculate, why is that? Why are there so many more requests for the attorney general? Is it there? You know, there's so many and governmental bodies, the Texas, uh, the Texas Municipal League, uh, you know, the Texas Association. Oh, there's so many more requests. That's why. Nonsense. 
It's because the governmental bodies have figured out that, that by asking for an attorney general ruling, and, and I need to say something about that real quick before we run out of time. Uh, before the, uh, the attorney general's office is not a court, they can't decide issues of fact. So when the governmental body sends in its request in its brief saying, I want to withhold this information, and that's because it, it would affect our policy deliberations, you know, this is, uh, 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 if it got out, you, you know, uh, we, our people wouldn't feel free to be able to talk about these important issues because they'd be like they were in a fishbowl, yada, yada. Uh, uh, and the government, the AG, because it's not a court of law, can't determine issues of facts, has to accept what the governmental body asserts as the facts. And you'll see that in a number of, of letter rulings. The attorney general cannot determine issues of fact. Therefore, we, you know, uh, based upon what the governmental body has said, we find that you may withhold this information. Well, you know, that's, a, that's some low-hanging fruit for a governmental body that really wants to withhold its information. It's, a, it's almost a rigged system, quite frankly. And I'm involved in a case right now that's pending, uh, hopefully, the, the, the Texas Supreme Court, they've asked for a briefing on the merits, and hopefully they'll go ahead and grant the, uh, the petition, uh, where uh, the city of Houston is suing to keep a requester from, you can sue a governmental body rather than go through the AG process. That's the way it's supposed to be. And you can hire a lawyer, and maybe you can get your fees back, you know, if they're just being boneheadedly, uh, you know, uh, stubborn uh, in, in relying on something that's not warranted. But they, they don't want to do that. The city says, no, you have to get an AG ruling first, which would make getting fees a lot more difficult. So uh, because they like the system. I mean, let's be honest about it. Governmental bodies love this system the way it's set up. They get to, you know, they get to take a certain... And it was set up this way to make them do something in the first place. I mean, let's go back to the origin of it. They got a 10-day limit, and that's why you've got some people at UT using the Open Government Act, the Public Information Act, rather than their right as a, a, a board member, because it, the governmental body actually has to respond. They actually have to do something in 10 days. Well, so now they're doing something in 10 days and 15 days, but what they're doing is within the context of a rigged system. The only way to fix that, in my humble opinion, is, is for some better leadership at the Office of the Attorney General. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> in defense of governmental entities. <laughs> it's getting if, it. if you go if you go to the AG's website where all state agencies and universities have to report how many requests they received, how many they sent to the AG, blah 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 blah. Only state agencies and universities, you will see that for fiscal year 2014, there were almost 1.1 million requests and that state agencies requested of that just less than 1,700 rulings. Now, at the... 17,000? 1, 1,700. Oh, this is 1, just... 1,700. Just for state agencies? For state agencies. Okay. Out of 1.1 million requests. If you go... If you were at the uh, FOIF conference last week, the AG reported that for FY 2014, they issued... 22,500 rulings. So if you even look at it, 
there are many, 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 many more requests than there are rulings. And the problem is that the people that get their information never pipe up. You never hear from them. Of course not. <laughs> they got what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. But you all need to remember that this is not the universe. This is the universe. It's not just state agencies that are requested. It's every single governmental body in the state. And you will be surprised what kind of, gov of entities are considered governmental bodies for the sake of the app. Great. Well, it's gone pretty lightly, you guys. Is there any other questions? I know that we're yeah, kind of at the end more. of our time, and it's time to yeah, I have one. one more. Okay. okay. One this more quick one. Addressed, I want to give you guys time to... This is addressed to Mr. Houston. Um, in light of all the things that we've heard, what is your philosophy on open government, and what distinguishes you from your opponent in this race? Um, well, we're almost out of town, time, so I'll just do, do real quick. Um, my philosophy, I think I've made it very clear. I'm... I believe that, you know, obviously there's exceptions to open records, which we're talking about today. Um, there's, they're written in, but you got to be vigilant from the top that no one's using technology, fear, threats, anything else as an excuse not to provide the records. You got to run it correctly. And it's hard, like they said, there's a lot of requests. I'm not so naive to say that it's always going to be right under my philosophy, under my system. My opponent, if you want to talk about open government, he's not even here today. <laughs> he won't even talk to the press. He, um, as a state representative, he has that obligation. So I guess my philosophy is clear. I'm open. I'm ready to talk. Anybody can ask me any questions. I think that carries over into the way you run your administration. If you're hidden during the campaign, if you don't talk, if you don't debate, then I think that speaks volumes about whether or not someone's going to be in favor of open government. Great. Well, I encourage everyone to come and talk to the panelists afterwards, and I hope you all have a wonderful time at Reunion Fest. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. Very nice.